The, the scripture reading this morning is out of Romans um, chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. So how this is going to go, um, I'm going to start, I'm going to read in, uh, I'm going to read verse 18 and then invite you all to join in with me and we're going to read uh, this scripture reading together corporately, okay? All right. First, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, all of us now. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly. The redemption of our bodies. Let us pray. Lord, um, we come humbly before you. And uh, Lord, we, we recognize that, um, as we say, we take God seriously and not ourselves. And um, Lord, let this be a time where we can um, be reminded of who you are and your holiness and your goodness. And um, also, I don't know where every individual is at here or even what we necessarily need to hear corporately, but you do. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will um, massively, significantly speak as we need to hear to each one of us individually and to us corporately as your people. Anyone who's here who does not yet know you, or as maybe these are new things to them, I, I pray and trust that you will, will speak directly, Lord, to their hearts. Open our eyes and our ears and soften our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and, and sit. Um, so uh, this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to get into um, our, our sermon series that we've been walking through. Um, before we do, go ahead and turn with me in Romans 8. We're going to get there. It's going to take us a little while to get into Romans 8. Um, but if you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and slip your hand up high and keep it up. Okay, not like an auction thing, but keep it up high. Somebody will get you one. También si necesitas la Biblia en español, solamente diga español y levanta su mano. Um, and somebody will get you a Bible in, in Spanish um, or in English. If you don't own a Bible, we want to um, give this to you, okay? This is our gift to you. We want everybody to own a Bible that they can read and understand and underline stuff and um, make their own. So um, as they're handing those out and as we're getting into it, let me just kind of recap where we are right now in our series. As a church, we typically walk through books of the Bible. We spent a year in Mark, and then we spent the last two months in Judges, and we'll walk through books of the Bible. And then coming up um, the weekend after Easter, we're going to be in Titus. Uh, then we're going to be in the Psalms all the way through the summer. And then uh, I'll kind of fill you in as we go what's coming up after that. So we love to kind of hunker down. Every once in a while, we get into a series that really um, we need to kind of shape our identity and kind of step back and, and kind of go through a, a shorter kind of broader series and right now we're going through a series of gospel-centered and outward focused and that's something that we say a lot here as a church we're gospel-centered outward focused and so for these four weeks we're taking this time to stop and consider what does it mean to be gospel-centered and so in short what that is is what is true of somebody who's a follower of Jesus 
If you've put your trust in him, God declares something to be true of you. In fact, if you're a human, which I assume we all are, um, God says this is true of you. And then from there, if you put your faith in Christ, this is true of you. He declares it. And so we're gospel-centered. You're anchored or centered or founded and grounded on the person and work of Jesus. And though from there, there is a compulsion, it will be true that your, your focus is now outward. That, that what is true of you as a follower of Jesus will lead you. The God, the Holy Spirit now um, indwells you and so you are now compelled to live on mission and to, be, and to be driven and defined by what God cares about and who he is. So the first couple weeks, what we walked through last week, or no, two weeks ago, we walked through the Imago Day. That if you are... Um, again, a human, you're, you're an image bearer of God. That in the very beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. But then because of sin, we're broken. So then if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a restored image bearer of God. And that's true of, of you. And then from there, though, you're compelled now to engage everyone else and to, and to interact with others, with society, with, with your coworkers, with your family, as image bearers of God. So there's a gospel-centered, outward-focused reality. And we had an, a, a time of racial reconciliation conversation with some of our African-American brothers and sisters in here in town that different churches invited us to talk about what does it look like to move toward one another as image bearers of God. And, and then last week, we talked about adoption and the absolutely central idea that, that biblically, if you um, are a follower of Jesus, God uh, adopts us as we even just read about this morning, adopted as sons and daughters of God. And then that leads us to be concerned and to own the foster care and, and adoption crisis that, that uh, Pima County and Arizona as a whole is in, absolute crisis. So this morning we're talking about restoration. And that's something we talk about a lot here as a church, right? I just talk about even why we meet here downtown and stuff. Restoration. And so what we're going to talk about is God's work of restoration uh, to us and in us and through us. That, that God is restoring people to himself. First and foremost, he's restoring you to himself. And then he's restoring you to your relationship with yourself. And then God is a God of restoration, restoring you in your relationship to others. And then from there, God is restoring you in your relationship with the world. So self to God, self to self, self to others, self to the world. Okay, so that's where we are. Now, where we're going to be, again, this morning, we're going to take a little longer to get into Romans chapter 8, what we just read is our scripture reading, because um, our, probably your first bent, if you've ever read about restoration, or if you even like, you know, typed in online, you know, uh, God, Christianity, restoration, you'd probably go straight to Re Revelation chapter 1. So our propensity is to think, that's something out there. Like sometime, at some point, restoration will happen, um, you know, and we don't even really dive in. It's kind of from the obscure book. This is the way we see it, kind of the weird book at the end of the Bible. And um, so it doesn't really affect us now. And then maybe if we're a little more, you know, astute, we go to Romans 8. But we need to understand that restoration is God's plan and God's mission and God's promise all along. And so, in fact, from the very beginning, when sin entered in the world in, in Genesis chapter 3, God promised restoration, the first gospel, it's called. And God, God declared restoration, and you see hints of that throughout the Old Testament building up. And so, what we're going to read first, um, again, maybe not the first place where we would go, is to Isaiah chapter 11, where we see 
a picture of restoration. Okay, so, so read with me as we kind of make our way toward a better understanding of what it means to be restored and a part of God's work of restoration, restoring all things. In uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand over the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so to get an idea of this, I just want us to sit in a moment with where you are. Like, where are you right now reading now? What's going through your mind? What are you feeling? But, but picture, like if that seems a little bit crazy, like picture a young kid at the zoo. Or I don't know the last time you've been to the zoo or last time you've seen or maybe think of yourself at the zoo. And what does a little kid, say a two or three or, you know, probably before like seven or something, it wants to get in with the animals, right? A little kid sees, um, you know, looks at the, where you can see the polar bear jump in if you're at a good zoo. Um, I, you know, we love our zoo here in Tucson, but it's, maybe we don't have all the exhibits. And, um, you know, there's a, a polar bear at certain zoos. You see it up there, and then it dives in and swimming, and the kid's right there, like, plastered to the glass and like I let me in there and they have massive barriers mostly to protect the animals from the kids but there's this this sense of like let me at them like I want to be there and we as adults right we're more mature we're like no no come on we just dismiss that as silly kids but maybe the kids have a little more intuition in fact Ezekiel God says receive the kingdom of heaven as a child um for me, I have a, a zoo story that kind of came to mind as I was preparing and I was reading through this. And I actually forgot about it until I read this. But um, when I was a kid at the San Diego Zoo, I grew up in, in San Diego, and my mom took my older brother, just older than me, Joe, to the zoo. And we were there. And um, it was kind of evening time, and we're walking around. I was probably seven or eight years old. And um, we were at the exhibit for the rhinos. And I loved rhinos. Um, if you know my personality, maybe you see that a little bit, a little bit of rhino. Um, not in stature, but... Uh, um, and so I, I saw the rhinos, and again, it was evening. I'm drinking a soda and kind of sitting there looking at the rhinos, and they're walking around. And something, I must have done something. I thought we were having a moment, okay? And I'm looking at the rhino, and I've since learned some new things about rhinos. And something happened that set him off. I don't know what, but challenged the rhino, and I'm kind of close there's a moat between us but the rhino literally charges me like it runs at me and you know I like to think of myself as you know tough and I screamed a high-pitched scream threw my soda and literally ran up to people like people are walking it's evening holding hands and I'm like breaking their hands what you, the rhinos are loose like run for your lives the rhinos are coming after us they're gonna get us and and my little life was shattered and my relationship I thought I had with these rhinos was broken and my mom rightly was furious because here I am making a fool of me and everyone with me and um and I've since learned about rhinos. They're actually kind of some redemption. I got to go to South Africa, and um, literally a rhino charged again. So I just got on its back, took off my shirt, was like riding it, cowboy. No, that didn't happen. 
But it really did. It ran into our little, like, you know, safari buggy we were on and bumped it. And I learned. I'm, I was scared, by the way, but I had my kids with me, so I had to maintain my cool this time. And, um, and I learned that rhinos are, like, almost completely blind. They cannot see very far at all. So they only charge a little bit, and they can't jump over a moat. So I didn't know that. And... Um, and they just, you know, they get, they just get whatever. They're not super sharp, and they just run into things. So I now know more. But, you know, something in me in that moment, and in kids at the zoo, they get something. They see animals. They see them playing, and they think, I, I want to be a part of that. And maybe we look at that and dismiss it and say, you know, silly, silly kids. Um, uh, George Whitfield said, if you're out in the wilderness and you come across an animal and it growls and snarls at you, it's because it knows you have something wrong with its maker, that you're at odds with its maker. So maybe we're in this place right now and we, we dismiss these things as childish. And when we think about restoration, we think about um, something like this, Isaiah, and we read it and we just assume, you know, I don't, we just kind of dismiss it. Right? We're just quick to just assume, like, I don't know what that means. It doesn't really have anything to do with me and my world you know, right now. And, and, and maybe it's because, now hear me, maybe because we've accepted a numb and mundane relationship with the world around us. Maybe sin defines us way more than we're willing to recognize and, and acknowledge and accept and believe in our everyday life. And maybe it's because of this, because we can't just start right here or dive in. We need to understand the story of God, the whole picture. So when talking about redemption, we can't just jump right to Re Revelation 21 or Romans 8 or even Isaiah chapter 11. We need to understand that God is a God of creation and that he defined how things ought to be, that in the beginning... As I said earlier, God said, let us make man in our image. And that came after God created everything with the words of his mouth, the authority of his voice. He created the stars and the moon and the heavens and the earth. And he told the waters where to stop. And, 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 he, and he holds the span of the universe. He measures it in, the, in, in his hands. And he holds the depths of the seas in the palm of his hands. And God created everything and all the animals. And then he said, let us make man in our image. Image bears a reflection of, 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 of who I am. God made you and me and us. And then he said, have dominion. Steward my creation. Relate with these animals. Relate with my world as a reflection of me, of the creator, the overseer of all things. Not to abuse and to manipulate and to use all these things. Not to be afraid of or to run away from, but to have a relationship with and to rule over as I would. God commissioned you and me in our identity and our purpose. To reflect him. But we said no thanks. We chose not God. In a nutshell, what is sin? If you're here today and you hear some of these phrases and terms that we often use. Sin is not God. Sin in the very beginning is saying thanks uh, but no thanks. God, my identity and my purpose and my relationship with you. My relationship with myself. My relationship with others. My relationship with the world. I want to define how that's going to play out. And that's the world that we're living in today. And maybe we've grown so accustomed to that that we fail to understand the God of restoration because we've just accepted not God. 
Because we've accepted broken world with broken relationships with God and self and others and the world around us. And um, author and pastor Tim Keller says some things that are really helpful for us. He's actually quoting um, J.R. Tolkien, if you've heard of him. He wrote the, um, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, Hobbits. I love Hobbits, obviously. And um, he, uh, but he, he wrote these things and he came under criticism, perhaps like some of us here today would. People kind of dismissed his theology as he wrote these books, these kind of fanciful books. And he wrote an article called Fairies, to, to talk about, about, about fanciful thinking and to kind of um, uh, respond to these kind of higher critics that said, oh, you need to be more intellectual and just say things that are kind of, you know, theological platitudes that just, you know, we can just insert into our lives. And he wrote this and then Tim Keller um, kind of expounds on it. So read with me. When you are in the middle of a great fairy tale, the fairy tale lets you live, even briefly, with the dream that love without parting, escape from death, triumph over evil are real and realizable. That's why the stories stir in us so deeply and why we will go on reading and writing them no matter what the critics say. Mic drop. He just like, whatever you critics say, we're going to keep doing it. And then Tim Keller expounds on it and he says this. The gospel's message, the word gospel means good news. Good news, the good news, again, in, in, in response to the fall to not God that we talked about, he says this, the gospel's message is that through Jesus Christ, every single one of these things the fairy tales talks about is true and will come to pass. We will hang out with angels. We will fly. We will have loves from which we're never parted. We will see an absolute triumph over evil. There is a beauty who will kiss you in all your beastliness and transform you. There is a prince who will save us forever. Amen. That is good news. As we sang, that, especially that song right before we got into this time, this, this, this sermon, um, and, and you guys, I joke about, I can never, so I'm not going to recite it to you, but I'll tell you, because I can never remember words from songs, and I'm not very musical, and... Um, but I, I was almost moved to tears, like emotion welled up as I thought of even members of our congregation, people in here in the short time since we've planted as a church, we've walked through a lot of hardship and tragedy and, and people have lost loved ones. We've experienced death way before it ought to be. We've seen marriages break up. We, we've seen um, sin. We've seen not God run rampant in so many ways. And perhaps because the hurt is so great or because we have just grown accustomed to not God, we've just accepted this is the way it is. That's life. We dismiss things as if, you know, hey, it happens, right? So be it. And, and you say, I'm sorry. That's not how it's supposed to be. And then maybe because we're uncomfortable, again, um, we just say, hey, you know, whatever, and just want to brush it off. But in this moment, let us individually and together sit and recognize it shouldn't be that way. There shouldn't have to be a barrier between the five-year-old and the polar bear. We should be able to enter into that picture in Isaiah and even laugh a little bit that 
God says, he says that the lion and the, and the, the cow and the fattened calf will be together and, and the child will, it's basically the child will like reconcile them. The child's going to do a little conflict resolution between the lion and the cow and kind of remind them and oversee how that relationship is supposed to go. And it's a beautiful picture. And as Tim Keller, right, he's smarter than definitely me. He's a really smart guy and J.R. Tolkien as well. And, and he's saying, look, maybe get down from our high horse for a minute or maybe, maybe, maybe for a moment wade into the pain and acknowledge it's not supposed to be this way. And maybe dismissing these things as childish or, 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 or covering our ears and just saying, you know, whatever, one day maybe things will be all right. Sit in the moment now and say, it's not supposed to be this way. Sin should not reign as it does. And now, understanding that, I think we're more appropriately ready to enter into Romans chapter 8. The good news, you see... The longing for restoration has been for thousands and thousands of years. Since sin entered into the world, all creation, all of God's people have been crying out and longing, whether we know it or not, recognizing we need help. It needs to be better. And so now we can see the good news of Romans chapter 8, verse 18. As water poured out on dry and weary lands, as we sang earlier, we now see the good news of Jesus. The author Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Down in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The good news of Jesus is much bigger than just put your trust in him and you won't go to hell when you die. Hear me. Hear me when I say that. It is that. Okay, we have talked about hell here. We're not afraid to say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, according to the scriptures, there is a time coming where, where God will judge those all of mankind and those who have not put their faith in Jesus. Will, there, is, there is no way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Yes and yes and yes a thousand times. That is true. Okay, hear me. Um, this is a plea and a cry. Put your faith in Jesus to be restored to God. But it doesn't stop there. Because it is God's mission, because God is the one who made the promises, all right, we need to understand the promises in light of the one who gave them. And God's creation, God's story, God's plan, all that he's put together has been marred and broken by sin. So he has declared he's going to make it all right. He's going to bring it all back the way it ought to be. And so we see here a bigger picture that we individually will be restored in our relationship to God. But not just us. All of creation has been groaning and longing 
Again, in verse 22, we just read, and then in verse 23, it says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I'm not going to get too much. We've talked about this before, but I'll briefly say that. So it circles back around, right? Paul there acknowledges, listen, we individually have all turned away from God. We've chosen not God. As, as it says elsewhere in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. We have all individually and corporately by nature and by choice chosen not God. We've walked away from him. And so it starts out there. We will be restored. If you put your faith in Jesus, the good news is that all the effects of sin, the relationship with God, the relationship with self, right? Think I, um, anxiety, d- depression, a drug addiction, um, extreme anger that, that then flows out of, I, I'm not comfortable with myself. I don't, I'm not comfortable in my relationship with God. I'm broken from him. Therefore, my relationship with myself is shattered. Therefore, abuse, alcoholism, um, all sorts of anger and society is running rampant with it. And then from there as well, relationship with the rest of the world is broken. And so you see the progression here. No, through the person and work of Jesus who's come and entered into the mess. He's given his life. He said, it is finished. He offered his life to the Father. And then he rose from the dead to usher in the time of restoration. So that through trusting Jesus, your identity is now with him and your relationship with God is restored. You can now come to him. As it said, we wait as adoption. We talked about this last week. We can now come before God and cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. We come before him and have a relationship with him and from there, your relationship with yourself. Sometimes in the moment, often over the course of time through the context of community, your relationship with yourself is restored and you see anxiety and worry and insecurity and doubt informed by the good news of the restoration of Jesus. And then your relationship with others is transformed. And so we get to see families redeemed, broken out of slavery, out of cycles and cycles, generations after generations of brokenness, renewed. And then from there now, compelled to engage the world on mission as agents of restoration. Okay, conduits. I'm not an engineer. I know very, very little about anything that you have to do with building or creating anything. Um, And yet, a conduit, right, is something through which electricity comes and then is distributed out. Am I right? I think, give me, we're Nate Hartke, give me a little head. No, not really. Well, as I understand it, a conduit, um, (laughs) engineers got to take for a minute. Well, you didn't say that word right. But a conduit, receiving the restorative work of Jesus and then transferring that out. Instantly, moment by moment, individually and together, we get to be agents of restoration. Guys, this should be igniting some excitement within us here. Again, ask yourself the question, is my understanding of my relationship with God so small that it just includes me And even there, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with my relationship with myself, my relationship with others, my relationship with the world around me. One more quote that is incredibly helpful from a professor, Michael Whitmer. He says this, If redemption restores creation, 
then the whole point of being a redeemed Christian is to become a more flourishing human. Jesus did not come to this planet to obliterate our humanity, turning us into angelic beings focused solely on spiritual activities. Jesus is fully God and fully human. He is 0% angel. Come on, amen? Can we hear this? 0% angel. Again, just we've, what is your perspective of heaven? What is your perspective on the restoration that Jesus has promised to usher in? For most of us, probably, it's being a little chubby baby, wearing a diaper, playing a harp, floating around in some kind of obscure choir concert, right? It makes a little bit of sense why people are like, I don't know that I really want to be a part of that. Um, you know, it sounds kind of gross and weird to me. Well, that picture, and we've talked about this before, there's a lot of like in, in the Middle Ages, this kind of separation of the sacred and the secular and all kinds of things were involved that broke us from our understanding of the full restoration of Jesus. But that doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from somewhere, but not from the Bible. And as we see here, Jesus is not an angel. He is fully God and fully human. And so he came to cross out our sin and empower us to thrive in every part of our human lives. Everything matters to God. Everything matters to God. So what do we do with this? Well, first and foremost, where are you today? Are, are, where are you in your relationship with God? Do you hear and understand the need to be restored to your creator um, my, my guess, my assumption is that every single one of us knows that intuitively, but perhaps this morning you've maybe connected those dots and heard, yeah, I, 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 I'm at odds with my maker. I, I, need, I need to be, um, my identity and my purpose has been broken. And the only hope of restoration is through the finished work of Jesus, dying on the cross and raising from the dead to undo the effects of not God. And then from there, perhaps you've been a follower of Jesus, a Christian your entire life, but you've lived like we are so prone to in really struggling to connect the dots with, your, with, with, with Sunday morning and Monday afternoon. Or for our college students, maybe more, but for maybe Saturday night to Sunday morning. Maybe we struggle to connect how it all fits together. Well, Jesus connects our need for restoration with God, to our need for restoration with self and others in the world. And so now we understand when he says, behold, I'm making all things new, we're invited to understand, what does this look like? What's the application point? Gospel-centered, I hope you get that. Centered on the person and work of Jesus, restoring all things. So what does that mean for you and me now today? What is the outward focus implication? Well, it means in part uh, a group from a long ways away, taking their spring break to come here and to enter into a young church plant and to say, though we've existed as a church for, I think, over 50 years, um, we still have some things to learn. We want to come and learn from these you know, young people figuring it out who I think, right, the scripture I read from didn't match what you guys were reading. I think I got that as we were going. It was maybe different translation and you know, still figuring some things out but them saying, hey, we want to learn. We want to come alongside. 
what God's doing all over the world. As one of the guys said last night, he brought his three young kids and said, said, I want to expose my kids to the reality that God has no boundaries and so neither will we. Man, that's, that's, that's what it looks like. That's, that's what it looks like. It looks, it looks too like the hard work we've done this morning of maybe being humbled enough to recognize, man, I, maybe I am defined more by the mundane reality of sin, of not God, than I want to admit. Maybe I dismiss scriptures that sound fanciful and childish about wolves and sheep laying down together. Maybe I don't embrace that as reality because my understanding of the person and work of Jesus has grown too small. And we repent and confess, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Continue to grow me. Maybe it looks like something we love to say here, that life is naturally supernatural. Let that soak in for you. I don't know all of our vocations in this room. My guess is that some of us have jobs that you, know, you think is really mundane, is really natural, that maybe anyone could do, or it's just, but maybe step back for a moment, get creative in our communities, in our conversations, and stop and think about, how is this supernatural? How is the God of creation restoring his work that has been broken through what I get to do day in and day out? A couple people here I've gotten to talk to who work in a cleaning business and has talked about, I've been more affirmed and encouraged by my work in cleaning. And he's got degrees. He's, he's, got all, he's a creative um, innovator. He, he writes websites and design and all kinds of stuff that I definitely don't understand and can't do. And yet right now he's working in a, in a cleaning and he's been talking about how he's seeing the restorative work of God through his very work every day. And that is incredibly exciting and good. And we need to do the hard work of understanding the full restoration of Jesus. So now as we close and we prepare to respond, let, let's consider, let's respond, let's dream, let's pray. Let's repent. Repentance means turn to God. Turn from sin. Turn from self. Turn from brokenness. Turn from not God. And let's thank Jesus that he came to restore us to God, us to us, us to one another, and us to the world around us. Because that's good news. And the surrounding world says, I want to be a part of that. Tell me more. As John Calvin says, that we get to be a theater for the, res the restorative work of Jesus on display to the world around us. Is that good news? Amen. Let's pray and respond together. To the God of restoration. Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you um, for this time together. Thank you for, um, for really where you have us as a church right now in this moment. Um, all that we get to be a part of, Lord, that we get to come alongside other churches as we, every week we pray for the church around Tucson more, more specifically. Lord, we pray for others that we get to join alongside that in our kind of newer work of being a part of your restoration here in downtown Tucson, there are many who have been praying and fasting for decades for what we're getting to be a part of right now. And we, we, we want to be humble enough and yet also not complacent enough to say, Lord, here we are, let us be a part of it. Lord, we repent and confess ways that we have, we have had a low view of God. Lord, where we have, we have kind of overlooked 
that it's your work of restoration, that the gospel belongs to you, that salvation belongs to our God, and it's a full salvation, not just an individualistic one. And so, Lord, we confess and repent. We say, thank you for your patience. Lord, help our unbelief. And now, Holy Spirit, will you lead us through this time of response to the good news of the person and work of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.